<laughs> and if you knew nothing else about Herod, that's a villain. Alright, welcome to your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yudla. And we are here, Villains of the Bible. Fifth episode? Sixth episode? I don't know. One of the episodes. <laughs> that was a great way to... You want to redo the intro? No. <laughs> nah, this is fine. Yeah. It's fine. Well, we've recorded some podcasts out of time, right? Where we're slotting it in. Yeah. Trying to get guests yeah. on board and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. It was a little out of order. It's been one of those mornings for me. Everything's been out of order. I was part of this uh, group with other Christian podcasters, and they said, uh, the question was, name one thing you're doing really well and another thing you're not doing so well. So I was like, okay, what are we doing really well as a group? And I thought content is really good right now. Audio is really good. Those are done what really well. What am I doing horribly? Time management. Time management is always awful for me. Hmm. I feel like I'm, I could plan something and be like schedule it out and map it and everything. But I always overestimate my ability to get something done. Or in most cases with time management is my ability to get to a place at a certain time, I'll be like, yeah, it's like 15 minutes away. I could get there in 10. And so then I set myself up to fail right out the gate. So it's why I'm always late. I didn't know that. Maybe because I tend to be later than you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is fun when we come to the, uh, to the studio because it's like, well, am I going to be there first or are you? Because even if we text, like, I'll be here at this time, mm-hmm. we show up. Yeah, it's a game we play. Like, who's there first? We did something cool this Wednesday for the... Young Adult Ministry at the church. Yes, we did. I really thought it was cool. I want to talk about it here. We had an appreciation night, and it was really, really cool. Everyone who showed up got a little award, but the award wasn't just like some generic thing. It was a heartfelt thing that you, Delilah, and some of the leaders in there created. Yeah, so we uh, have a couple of student, student leaders who are just like, we just want an excuse to dress up nice and get together and, you know, be a little fancy and I think after a couple of years of what we've had, it's like, yeah, let's get together and, you know, have that time. And when looking at it, it's just like, all right, well, what can make it more meaningful? Because you can have formals and go and do stuff. But I, th- I like the idea of the, an appreciation award because we do appreciate everyone in there. I mean, everybody in Belong is involved and growing and just like, you know, part of the fellowship. So that yeah, was good. It's a lot of fun. I wasn't a fan of the dress up part of it. You didn't. I didn't, no, because I wasn't a fan of it. I actually heard that you were uh, communicating with some of the students who also didn't want to dress up saying, hey, if they don't let us in, we can just go eat dinner somewhere That was only with one person, (laughs) not some. I wasn't leading an anarchy here. But that one person who I won't name, Dominic, was um, worried about his dress attire because he was coming from work. Mm -hmm. So I told him if they don't let you in and me in, we'll just go hang out and get some food. But you guys let us in, so it was yeah, not We had not to let you two in. You were very uh, well-deserved. Yeah, my award was uh, Tough and Tender. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I think that anybody who's a long-time listener to the show, Tough and Tender, probably uh, Maybe. can make sense of that. Yeah, I went home and I told Justine about it, and she was like, oh, that's really cool. And when I thought about it, I was like, basically, we did the Christian Dundies. Yeah. Like, it was the Christian Dundies Awards, except, you know, they were nice and not like, what was Pam's the first year? Longest engagement ever or something like that. You know, not something insulting. But all right, let's get into villains. We were talking before we got into this, and we'll get into our villains today. We're looking at both Herods. So we're looking at King Herod the Great, who was Herod in charge during the time when Jesus was born. And then we're looking at the other Herod, who was around during Jesus's lifetime. Also, Herod Antipas. Antipas. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't say it because... 
I wasn't going to struggle over that. I just went for it. <laughs> like most biblical names, I just yeah. go for it. So if you have the pronunciation, uh, record a YouTube, link me in. <laughs> Send it to us. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about it. We were talking about how like the villains are, are like we're looking at them through this realistic human viewpoint because they're humans. They're basically people who lived on this earth who did really bad things. And I brought up the idea like that reminded me of the Batman trilogies, the Christopher Nolan ones. And when he went out there, some people were a little disappointed with the villains and the way they were presented. And he said, I want to present these people as if they were in the real world that we live in, not through a comic book where things can happen and be crazy and all this other stuff, but through the lens of real life and something that could take place. And that's kind of what we're looking at with these people is this, this is real life. This is real events. These are real things. And what makes them villains and what makes them kind of the way they are. And we've covered so far Judas. We looked at Cain, Samson, Nebuchadnezzar, and now we're here with King Herod's. And that sounds weird. King King's Herod's. Herod's? King's Herod's? How the, would you say that? The Herod's? Herodian Kings. The Herodian Kings. There you go. Yeah. We're with those dudes. And we're looking at these guys uh, through that lens of who they are. Yeah, and with that, if, if you want the caricatures or the bullet points of things or the well-known, I think that a lot of people... You know, if you've been around in church for a while, you probably know that part. So to take it from a different angle is good. But we're also talking about, and just so that our audience, I guess, is aware, because I'm talking to you and you already know you were there for the first part, is that in trying to see a bit more of the human side and what's there, some stuff is just our opinion or our perspective and take on it. We try to give what's definitely there in the text. But in seeking to get to know the person as a person, you know, it's trying to look a bit beyond and sometimes intentionalities can be obvious sometimes they're you know shaded a bit so as we go through it definitely get into the text yourself you know you can read alongside us the passages that we're taking for all of these villains aren't very long so you can even use this as a primer to get in and be interested to even carry on the conversations a bit hop on the facebook group yeah yeah that would be really cool uh, another thing i want to mention before we get into herod's we actually have some now uh, cool images that we're going to be having up I'm saying this deeper into the season because talking with my friend Simon just kind of got, we figured all out the how to get this done, but he has a website. It's Word for Word Bible Comics, and he basically it's it's not just a comic book where they kind of fill in the this, this stuff. It is word for word what scripture says, drawn in comic picture and form, and their website is wordforwordbiblecomic.com. It's got great stuff over there. They've done a few books of the Bible already. They're working on doing more, so I know they need some support with that. But he's given us some of the images of some of the stuff that he's already done that we get to use for promotional things. So I just wanted to give them a quick plug about what he's doing over there. It's really cool stuff. We looked at some of the art today, and it's just it's really cool. Some of the ones that really stood out were like a Satan. That yeah. one really stood out to me. I don't know if my brain just blipped out, but what he's providing is for each of our villains, there's a really cool comic rendition for each of the villains in the series that that go along with the episode. He has a ton more and you can catch, it was the website and also the same thing, but Instagram. And uh, it's really cool. It's the kind of thing on a couple of them, we stared at him for a second. And then when some of the details of the story came to mind, it was like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. that's cool. So really cool images, highly recommend. We'll be posting along with the episodes. Yeah. So we'll check that out. Let's get into Herod's. You want to give the history of Herod the Great first? <laughs> oh, the history. Yeah, you know, you're the historian here. Yeah, you can say that. So the history of... <laughs> you're just the one willing to study it. <laughs> no, we both study. We definitely study. You bring out stuff and I'm like, whoa, I never come across that, but that is there. 
But the history of the Herods, first off, you said, we're going to get into both of the Herods of the Bible. And it's like, no, there was more than two within the life of Jesus and then getting into post-resurrection, who Paul and them were dealing with. So just to be clear, and everyone listening, the Herod that was there at the crucifixion wasn't the same Herod that Peter and the gang had to deal with in the book of Acts. Right. Okay. Correct. And even at Jesus's birth, and when they fled to Egypt and then coming back, they came back because Herod had died. So it was like Herod basically a, a, a title, kind of like James Bond? They look at it, and between it being a name, like a family name or a title, because it seems to get used as a title for those who are kind of within the family, kind of like Caesar became Caesar. Yeah, it's like the name becomes the thing. That was going on. But taking this family tree history, it's really cool to know because it sets it up just because how we've seen knowing this family tree, the history of what's going on here in Rome really sets up the story for who the two hairs that we're talking about today are. And just even the context to it, each of the villains that we're hitting during the series, they have their own stories that shaped them, right? Life kind of shaped them into a situation, what they were born into and what rank in life and all that kind of thing. So for me, when I look at the history of the Herod family, it is a political thing all the way through. So it's almost like political villains moving in on this point. And what you have, I'm going to just bring a bunch of quick facts together to try and... So you're, you're really at this moment trying to figure out how to condense the history of everything, right? Just in a way that is easily understandable without looking at charts or trying to keep track of too many <laughs> details. Yes, absolutely. So what you have going back before Herod the Great you had uh, Antipater, and he had four sons, so Herod was one of the sons, right? And he's the guy that's starting this whole thing. And if you look at their family lineage, they weren't actually Jewish. They were Arabs. So already coming in, you can see how that's going to play in later because we find them as kings in the Jewish region. So you have Herod the Great, and he was a ruthless guy. He was the guy that, yeah, when he heard when the wise men came searching for Jesus, he was the one that just started wiping out all of the Jewish children that were under two years old, right? Now, you move from him and one of his sons, he had nine wives and then a ton of sons coming from that. Some of them, again, political moves to where he married actually a Maccabean princess to become part of the Jewish noble line to legitimize things. Oh, I didn't know that. So we're looking at, again, this whole thing is political. And then when you have him die and Jesus is going to come back, and they go, oh, we still shouldn't go to Bethlehem because one of his sons, another Herod, he's also crazy like his dad was. So that's where we're going to go up to Nazareth and go there up in the region of Galilee. Now you find that that crazy one that was there, that second Herod, he didn't survive too long. And who took over his position was Pontius Pilate. So that's kind of how he fits into this whole thing later on at the crucifixion, Pontius Pilate. And this brings us to the third Herod of Jesus' life, which is... Herod Antipas, and he's the one that brings it through, kills John the Baptist. We're going to get into these details, especially how that came about. And then is also there, Pontius Pilate calls in Herod. He happened to be visiting Jerusalem, sends Jesus to Herod. And it says that they were actually political enemies before that point. And just that action of Pontius Pilate sending over Jesus, it, scripture says they became friends that day. 
So political stuff all the way through. I just know I dropped some major plot bombs yeah, throughout it. We'll get through. But, we'll we'll uh, clarify and clean up some of that as we get going. But yeah, just to give, again, this is kind of a political dynasty kind of a thing. And I didn't mention all of the other sons. There was people plotting against all of the Arabian sons, plotted against the two Jewish sons, and tried to get them taken out of the picture. It was a whole, it's a really fun thing to study and see the history behind it. But then we bring it into the story of scripture and how Jesus and the disciples and everybody else fit into this and what made them villains as recorded. That was a lot of good information in there. I'm tapped out. It's the rest of the episode for you. (laughs) It's all my turn now. Uh, I really did like that. There are some things I didn't know, but I, I really think the important part of when you're studying your Bible is reading it is the the. When I read my Bible, me and Justine were talking about this yesterday. When I read my Bible, that's the like, this is speaking to me. I'm gaining something in this and knowledge. When I study the Bible, because there's two different things going on there. That's when the Bible comes to almost life. Like things take on their own shape and form. So when you get into like this, we've got to flush out the history before we get into who the character is. It's important because now we see why this guy is doing certain things, which way and which that way. And we promise, even though we kept saying political things, this isn't going to be a political episode, maybe. I can't guarantee that. We might go and get some politics, but who knows? We'll see where the story goes. But let me get into it. You I had such me? a surprise look on my face yeah. right now. Sometimes <laughs> I wish that this was a video podcast just so people <laughs> could see the interactions because so much you're talking and I'm just nodding the whole time. And yeah, so. I sometimes don't because sometimes you're talking. And I'm like, I'm going to drink my coffee now. I'm kind of like looking at my notes. All right. Yeah. So anyways, we could ramble on over and over again. Matthew chapter 2 is where I'm going to start off at. The Magi come looking for Jesus, or they see the star, and they're looking for Jesus, and they say, uh, we've seen the star. They, they're, they're, they're wandering around basically saying, hey, we've seen, seen the star of the king of the Jews, and this is what you're talking about, right? So if Herod's in charge at that time, and he's, the dude's already killed some of his kids, he's killed some of his wives, anyone who attacks his throne, he's just like, taken out so there's been thousands of people and that's what made him popular with the romans is he was like oh jewish uprising kill him yeah (laughs) he just took him out quickly so they're wandering around herod heard about this and he wants to know more about it because obviously some guys asking around we want to see the king of the jews he's like well come talk to me that's my title that's my thing so he called them in or first he calls in his chief priests and teaches the law to find out more about it he's like Tell me more about what's going on and all this. And so they let him know it's all there. You can see it there in Matthew chapter 2. He eventually comes and gets the Magi. He tells them, go find out more about this king and then come back and report to me what you heard so that I could come worship him too. All of this is just political, I guess, scheming, if you want to call it. Just saying one thing, but really has the intentions to do others. The Magi get a dream. They say like, the dream's like, don't go back to Herod because he's crazy. They go back off to their distant land. When he finds out about this, and, and this is a word, if you got your Bible open, if you're going to go back to this, it's a word that we need to understand. When he heard this, it says he was furious and he was angry. And then he, that the Magi didn't come back. And then he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas who were two and under. And that's kind of Herod. After that, we get the dream that, you know, through this, Joseph got a dream. He took, like you said, Jesus down into Egypt, which is really crazy when you start looking at the book of Matthew, what Matthew was doing with Jesus, a little side note. So Jesus goes down to Egypt and then comes out of Egypt, just like Moses. He's almost, he's, he's painting consistently 
this picture of Jesus is Moses, but greater. Yeah, Jesus is the new Moses. Right. And it's just, it's so beautiful. The, the Sermon on the Mount, he's presenting new laws, just like Moses presented the law to us. So it's really beautiful. But again, like you said, got the dream that, okay, Herod's dead, but I'm not going to take him to back to Bethlehem. I'm going to take him to Galilee and we'll live in that area. But after that, like, yeah, Herod's dead. There's not much more in the Bible that we could find from him, but there is a lot of meat inside of that small scripture. Yeah, and just to even touch on some of those scriptures as you were going through, I read that and I go, wait, what? These guys were looking at stars and how did they know that a king was just born? What is it that's going on? And you have these magi. And if you were to study into that a bit, that takes it back to like Babylon and some of the things that they were studying. Just the unseen world part of it. I've always wanted to pull out the spiritual aspect of what's going on. It's easy to read through just real quick if you're just reading it like a book. I'm like, oh, my brain didn't quite get that, but I kind of get the story. But it's just to see, oh, they're reading the stars, and then there's a certain star that comes for, for Jesus and, and over that that lets them know. So again, God is communicating from the heavens what's going on, and then you have an angel coming to Joseph in a dream. So to realize that this was very ordained by God, he was communicating about the birth of his son, also moving to keep him protected from this villain, right, that sought out to kill him. So God is, uh, there's something very unique going on here. What I find interesting in what you're saying, too, is that, so the Magi, they're studying the stars, they're looking at things, and something pops out. And they even say, like, this is the star of the king of the Jews, like, this is what we want. So we need more information. We're going to go out and look for it. Herod gets word of this. Right. And it isn't, I want to know more about this because I'm intrigued or that, oh, man, this is cool. I, I want to see what's happening. It's, no, you're coming at me now. Like, it, it's almost this insecurity takes over. He's hearing the same things. He's the, the chief priest and the teachers of law. I always found that interesting, too. Reading that as a child. And even as an adult, they're like, why did the chief priests and the teachers had the law have to come tell Herod if he's the king of the Jews running it, but not understanding the history that you brought up earlier? That's why. He didn't care. He didn't care anything about the people or anything. He just wanted to rule. Mm -hmm. He just wanted the title of king. Yeah, they look at his conversion to Judaism like really being a political move. So he wouldn't have known he wasn't raised in all of it. But yeah, you brought out what I was trying to get to about how unique this moment is, is that God is moving and we see Herod opposing God. So, and we see that a lot with kings and the interaction that happened there is, you can't threaten my kingship and God is the ultimate king. So when he comes in to make a move, yeah, a lot of times you see the king opposing God. Uh, We saw it with Nebuchadnezzar, right? Right. Seeing that God is doing something, but just, no. (laughs) Yeah, and this one's like right in the face too, because Nebuchadnezzar's there, it was more of like, I just want you to acknowledge me. And then with King Herod, it's like, no, 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 here's the king of the Jews now. Like, you're a replacement. Who's going to take over? And, and not understanding Jesus correctly. Like, he knew, he got told what was happening, but not understanding who the Messiah actually was. His political position, he felt threatened. If this is the guy who's going to lead an uprise and overtake me, then I've got to wipe him out as a, as a baby. And not understanding, and I'm sure, like, he was used to people plotting against him his entire reign, right? Like, that's what we're talking about Yeah, here. going back to the so, sons and the different people, everybody was getting exiled to Gaul. And I, I guess insecurity is one way of looking at it, but also, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Panic? Or you're always never at ease, like you're 
you're always just watching your back. Like someone's coming at any moment to take my spot. And, he and you just, squash that out as soon as possible. You right. don't want to deal with the big problem. You just take it out. And that's what this guy was. He just took it out at the small end problem. But not fully understanding what Jesus's role here as Messiah was, wasn't to conquer Rome, but was to conquer our hearts and our lives and create that new kingdom here on this earth. And for him to come to establish that new kingdom, Jesus' kingdom has been foretold. We saw it with Nebuchadnezzar, right? The stone that wasn't cut by human hands come and becoming the greatest, you know, over, overtaking the whole world. And as you were talking about that, I went back and I was looking to what Herod's response was. And I know I said it very briefly earlier, but Herod saw that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was filled with rage, sending orders. He put to death all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under according from the time he had learned from the Magi. So Jesus coming to establish this kingdom, and Herod just goes, nope, wiping out every possibility of it. And if you knew nothing else about Herod, that's a villain. Yeah. <laughs> that is right. so maniacal. It, I don't even know. That's it's just straight up, we heard of that happening in another country. That's genocide level. No, go and wipe out any possibility of the men. You take out the men, procreation gets cut down. I was even looking at how Satan was working through this, is that there was prophecy that he was going to come through the line of David. And you have the census happening right now, which means everybody from the line of David was meeting in Bethlehem, his city. And what a good opportunity for Satan to just cut off the line and try and kill as many of those men as possible. Yeah, There's just so many layers going on. Like you said, there's really meaty when you look at it and you've got some places to hang it. It really is. I mean, I could touch on, as we're talking about it, insecurities or things that Jesus was coming in to remove those things from our lives, right? He was coming in to dethrone, not necessarily a king, but us from our own selfishness. He was trying to rule all that out and weed all that. You could look at what you were talking about with, with the babies being executed and just like, yeah, that's horrible. I, I heard somewhere that someone said that that actually portion of scripture is why a lot of people don't believe the Bible to be accurate because Herod giving the order to kill babies that historically it can't be found anywhere else other than the book of, of Matthew. And then I heard a pastor say that, well, the reality is that it wasn't like this big, like killing thousands of kids. It was probably about 20 to 30 because of the neighbor or the town itself size in the region around there wasn't a lot of kids that were two and under and because of that that's why it wasn't in any historical books outside of the bible because this was just herod like this was herod on a daily basis give order to kill people give order to kill people so uh, just to even touch on that a little bit because what's going on here is beyond like this small scale kind of storytelling this is this is god moving his son in here on earth using Joseph to move him from one place to another, but also not just moving him for safety. And here's the beauty of it. It's not just moving for safety. And Herod's role, again, it's not him just kind of attacking because he's crazy, but that is the truth of it. But it's scripture being fulfilled, being fulfilled, being fulfilled, that he would come, the the Messiah would come out of Egypt, the Messiah would come from Galilee and, and have all these other things. It's just scripture fulfilling itself. Yeah, the way that God works through history, when you see the complexity of all of it, and I think that that's where even you and I taking a different look at the scripture is, man, you experience life in different ways. You experience a villain in different ways, right? Like if you're a friend of the villain, he's not so so much of a villain. Right. But if you're an enemy of the villain, he's very much the villain. 
like you said earlier, to Rome, he was, uh, he was their buddy because he was coming out and doing their dirty work. So he wasn't the villain to Rome. Yeah, he wasn't. As a, going back to that family line, they were friends with Caesar Augustus, and they got up close, again, political alliances and whatnot. And Herod the Great's dad was like, hey, there's some territory open up. You should get rid of that other ruler that's in that region and put my son in there. And eventually he got in a part of it. According to them, he was never really a king. But that's besides the point. I'm just throwing in details. <laughs> yeah. I read this, and then we'll take our break. It was from Wearsby's Expository Outline of the New Testament. I thought this was really cool, the way he structured it all. He said, Jesus, the title King of the Jews, raised suspicions because Herod feared anyone who threatened his throne. He was a ruthless monster who even killed his own children to protect his throne. He had nine or ten wives and was known for his treachery and lust. An Edomite, he had a natural hatred for Jews. Herod did not know God's word, but had asked the scribes. The scribes knew the word of God, but did not act upon it. The wise men were both hearers and doers of the word. How closely the priests were to the Messiah, yet they did not go. And I just thought that was really cool, the way he just structured who Herod was. And I really like that part where Herod did not know God's word, and he just wanted people to tell him God's word. And again, it wasn't for knowing God. It was to protect himself. It's almost like us in a sense that we kind of get caught up in that. Sometimes we want to know God's word or we want to know about God, more of the spiritual side of things, I guess, the, the spirituality of things and being spiritual. But we want to be spiritual without God. And how can, we, how can we have, let me say it this way. I think this is the clearest way I could do it. I want to know God's word, not to grow or change my life, but to keep protecting what I'm holding on to. Yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying, and to use Herod specifically to, again, look at our lives in those ways, is he was granted such an opportunity to experience God. He was kind of let known before anybody else, maybe other than the shepherds and you know a few others, that the king of the Jews has just been born, confirmed by these magi coming in and all these different stuff. That's supposed to be good news, and especially if he went to the scribes, it's like, the Messiah is here. He had the opportunity to go, wow, this is the best thing that could happen, literally throughout all of history. But he stood opposed to that, and he didn't come into that invitation, really. Like, he went, where are they? I really, truly want to. But instead he went, where are they? Because I really don't want to. And I think of it, I think this is what I was trying to say earlier. So people who want to live their lives their way, they don't want that relationship with God. So they could hear it. It could sound like you said, this is supposed to be good news. It should have filled his heart with joy like it did the Magi and the shepherds and anyone that God had told during that time. Like, the Messiah is here. This is game-changing now. This is what you've waited for. You, you had Isaiah, Ezekiel, and all the prophets beforehand proclaiming this. Then there was 400 years of nothingness, 400 years where the prophets weren't speaking. You weren't getting told anything. And then here it is, the Messiah, and it's happening, and it's being told, and there's this star that's showing it. And Herod just didn't want anything to do with it because if you do, it changes your life. You've got to go and start recognizing who this Messiah is and, and start submitting to it. But if you don't want to and you just want to live your life your way, you're going to push against it. And you're, you're going to be an enemy. And the Bible says that, right? Before we came to know God, we were enemies of God. You bringing up that scripture, I was waiting here to bring that into the point because everything that you were just saying comes to that truth. And it's a hard truth to come to because we want to think, no, I'm not that bad. And, you know, God loves me and all this stuff. But 
yeah, he loves you. He's wanting you to come into that relationship. But if you're not wanting to, you're standing opposed to him. And just like Herod did. And when you stand opposed to God, rather than being able to come close like that, look at what happened. The Messiah went down to Egypt. And the separation that was happening there while Herod remained to be an enemy, right? That's why they didn't come back into the area. So you remain to be an enemy until you come into that relationship with God through Christ. So yeah, everything that you're saying, it's it's a hard truth. But if you're not wanting to come together with God into a relationship, you're standing against them. When you say that, then people kind of look at the idea of like, well, if I'm the enemy of God, that means he hates me. And I like that you brought up that he still loves us. And I want to give even more proof to that statement that when Jesus came down here and we talked about it on the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? He said, love your enemies. So it wasn't something he was just saying to sound cute or be trendy or have it reposted or retweeted or all that other it's stuff. It's the character of God. It is the character of God that he can still love us even when we're pushing against him. And he wants to love us more and show us that unconditional love. I think what Herod missed was the power of God's love for him. That it was there for him. Even a guy, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a clean-whistled king. Like, we talked about how ruthless he was. But God got his attention, and for all we know from what Scripture has just showed us is that Nebuchadnezzar's life was changed by this encounter of God. And God trying to get Herod's attention. Magi's, chief priests, the teachers of the law, all telling him the same thing, and he just wouldn't buck to it. He, he just kept fighting against God. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add to that. Oh, that was a good point. And just to bring all of that, there's a ton of background going through it. You have Herod living his life and what that looks like, both on the look at it from the overview side on what he was doing, and then some spiritual truths underneath that. So we don't have a lot on Herod in the scriptures. We're basically limited to a chapter or two in each of the Gospels, but there's more Herods. Yeah, let's get into the next one when we come back. Hi everybody, it's Casey. Got a minute, let me tell you about this super fun class I'm taking right now called the Magi class. The Magi class is all about what's beyond the Earth's atmosphere. It's a 33-week course where you'll travel through the universes and learn about the solar system and how it functions, the big telescopes being used today, the prospect of life on Mars even in the outer solar system, the world of exoplanets, the stars, what's being discussed about the late stages of stellar evolution, other galaxies, understanding dark matter and dark energy, the prospect that we aren't alone in the universe, and finally, a look at life in the universe. The great part about the Magi class is it can be applied as college credit in about 10% of all colleges nationwide. This class is pure enjoyment and great for those homeschooling their children. Learn about what's beyond Earth with the Magi class. Now back to the show. All right, we're back from that break. <laughs> you guys don't know why we're laughing, but before we came in, I did like this countdown that was really weird, and now Murdoch is sitting there with a the smirk on his face and almost a look of disappointment. No, just when you edit it, leave in the countdown. Leave in the countdown, <laughs> and three. People won't understand why you're starting like that until they hear the next sentences. All right, I'll leave it in. All right, King Herod. Herod the what now? Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas. I think it's with the T. Antipas. The other one that came in between was Archelaus. So, yeah, Herod Antipas, and then we're also going to kind of all touch on Herod Philip. He comes into the story, but yeah. Well, Herod, uh, isn't there another name for Herod the Tetrar? Yeah, Herod the Tetrarch. Tetrarch. So when you get into land being divided from Herod the Great, he divided into four. Herod the Tetrarch gets a fourth, basically. Got it. So this is that Herod. Yeah. All right, so this Herod, 
I'm picking up in Matthew chapter 14. This is where he pops into the story. He heard reports about Jesus. So he's sitting in, that's where actually what it starts off. Chapter 14, one is, at that time, Herod, the blah, 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 heard the reports about Jesus. So it kicks off that that's what he heard. And the crazy part about it is that he thought it was John the Baptist. And I know in, in some of the other gospels, he like asked around, like, who is this? What's going on? And some say it could be Elijah or one of the other prophets. Yeah, that's in Mark 6, starting verse 14, kind of gets into that. He's asking around. Yeah, and so now, but he's like, this is John the Baptist come back to life. And which then leads you, as if you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, you're like, wait, what now? <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, that. what just happened? Uh, because last we heard was the encounter, or like, I think someone went up to John and was like, hey, Jesus is doing all this stuff. And he's like, cool, that's great. So last encounter was John was alive, and then it goes into this, He's back from the dead. Back, he's back from the dead. What just happened? And I think it's Herod kind of re, then goes into like retelling the story of what happened. But basically, Herod had John arrested because he was calling him out for marrying his brother's wife. Which was be Philip. That's Which Herod that's Philip. Herod yeah. Philip, right? I love John the Baptist so much, man. I really do. It's not a character that I actually, as a younger part of me, really dug into. I remember growing up, we went on a family vacation, me and my parents to Colorado. And I woke up one morning and my dad, there was like a river or a lake. I think it was a river running by the hotel we were staying in. And like, he was out there preaching and baptizing people like John the Baptist style. And I was like, dude, you're nuts. Like, are you going to start eating locusts and and honey and all that other stuff next? Like what's going on with you? So he didn't really have an impact in my life then. But today as an adult, this guy basically went to the guy who's in charge and was like, you know what you're doing is not lawful. And he wasn't attacking him at the law of Rome or anything like that. He was attacking, attacking him at God's law, which it's just, it's great. You know, he's like constantly going at him. Like, what you're doing is unlawful. Stop doing it. Stop. What you did was wrong. You married your brother's wife, right? And you want to get into Herod Philip a little bit? I was just going to bring up again, the family connection that's going on there and the weird political stuff that's going on. It's, and just to frame it, where the family drama still continues. Right. And here it is. I mean, the Herods could basically go on like... Pretty sure it's one of those TV shows that yeah. you watch for however many seasons and it's just getting into all the drama. Or yeah. Jerry Springer. Like they, they <laughs> could also do that. They, I mean, I'm dating myself with the Jerry Springer show, but they could have gone on that show and tore it up. Well, yeah, especially because then you get into... He gets Phyllis' wife, which also comes along with his daughter. Yes. And that leads into why was John the Baptist beheaded he was doing all this and and telling them he had him arrested but he didn't kill john and the bible makes it clear that he was afraid well he didn't kill him initially because he was afraid of what the people might do he was afraid of the people's uprising or being upset because they considered john a prophet that and he also getting it from mark um it says when he heard john's words he was greatly perplexed maybe even angered or whatever within that yet he listened to him gladly he did realize like there's something about this guy so even though he imprisoned him there was like a weird relationship going on there yeah it kind of takes me back to what we were talking about herod the great where there was this sense of spirituality but not putting the pieces together completely like it was just being spiritual but not i mean you can't say that this herod was like nothing spiritual was going on. The dude thought a ghost came back to life. Like, you know, there's something he believes in the supernatural. He understands that that's a thing, but he's not fully investing into what's really there. So Herod has his birthday. It's a big old birthday party bash and there's everybody's drinking, partying, and it's just going on like crazy. 
And then Herodian, Herod's wife, Philip's first wife, wife of Philip, Herod, his brother, sister, mother. Maybe I can just put the chart in the, the show yeah, notes. Well, let's have the chart in the show notes. It's a weird connection. Her daughter comes out and dances for him. And in the translation I have, it says, please, but when you break down like this, this was an arousal for him. I'm trying to say this the it most. It brought out the lust of Herod. There you go. Like, well, how could I say that without it sounding inappropriate? Well, it obviously had an impact because of what happens. So he was so pleased. I would say, keep saying pleased. He was so pleased by this dance and this performance that Herodias' daughter did that he said, all right, I'll give you whatever you want. Whatever you want, ask for it and I'll give it to you. Up to half the kingdom. Half my kingdom. Like, clearly this dude was happy. And the mom comes in, whispers in her ear, the head of John the Baptist. She tells him the head of John the Baptist. Because he didn't want to look dumb in front of all of his guests and all the people there, they had John the Baptist beheaded. Yeah, not look dumb as well as when you gave your word back then, the level of honor that was tied to that, that if you broke that and people knew it was just like, yeah, you're done. It's not just looking dumb. It's like you're, no, it carried a lot more weight. You see all kinds of people throughout the scriptures where when you say something, it's like, oh, I said it. It's real. (laughs) No, Um, But yeah, up to half the kingdom. And this is, yeah, the politics coming into play. Hey, this quote unquote royal couple that's ruling over keeps getting called out by by god's man and the people all agree that this is god's man got to get rid of the problem i i find it interesting though when i look at this herod and well i'll stop here for this second this whole story that you know we're talking about villains and and usually with villains there is heroes and and john just really stood out to me because when you look at john's life like i said earlier he just he's means more to me now today like he was the prophet. He was the person at the time proclaiming who Jesus is. Uh, I think Matt on this last season said the person who shows the greatest act of worship in the Bible is John the Baptist mm. because everything's just pointing towards Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. You know, he didn't care about how he looked, the way he was. It was just about Jesus. And this was like their evangelist, if you want to say at the time. And then it makes me think about our evangelist today. And like John the Baptist didn't look like anything in the culture. He wore the, the animal fur all over him. He was just... Which is called back to Elijah, right? Right. Just kind of like the wild man, looking counterculture. But like, I couldn't... People who are presenting the gospel today, in a sense, I couldn't tell if they were any different from the culture that we're living in. All I'm going to say is preachers with sneakers, and then we can move on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's just so cool that, that that's who John the Baptist was, that a lot of times we come into this relationship with God and we think... It's going to be great. It's going to change my life. I'm going to be more successful. I'm going to have lots of money. But that's not really what God calls us to. And John the Baptist's life is that example that speaking God's truth, like that's what killed him. And that's where, not to get into the political, I know you said we might touch on it as far as things go. A lot of people, you look at Jesus and he didn't really move in a political way. He did, but he didn't. You know, but when he was brought before people, he wasn't calling them out. It says that he stayed silent before Herod. And I know that we're going to get to that and um, before Pontius Pilate. Um, but you have John here who Jesus says there's nobody greater than him. And he's out here telling it like it is, right? So if Jesus' number one pick is out there telling it like it is, you know, speaking truth to power and standing up and saying, no, this isn't right by God. And especially you're leading the Jewish people in whatever the way that you're leading it. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that you brought it out that John as as a hero against the villain, because I was thinking the same thing. Let's give him his due, because he doesn't really get it. It's kind of like, oh, John the Baptist came, and then Jesus came, and oh well. But it's like, no, he was he was continued doing his work. Which is the beauty of John the Baptist, too. 
oh, John the Baptist came, but then Jesus came. Oh, well, about John. Like, that's the life to live. Like, I, I feel like we get caught up in, like, exalting ourselves while exalting Jesus or trying to. Like, we want to be a certain position or have a certain look or be recognized for our voice. But if if John's life was just about exalting Jesus so much that even when Jesus showed up, it was like his thing just shrank. And then he got arrested and, and was eventually killed. But moving forward with the story, yeah, we get into where Jesus is arrested. And, and I've looked at Luke, I think Luke chapter 23. And in this story, like Jesus is arrested. He's getting beat, all the other stuff. They send him to Pilate. Pilate finds out he's a Galilean, sends him back. He's like, oh, that's Herod. Let me kick him back to Herod. And, and uh, when I look at Luke, it said that uh, Herod was actually excited to see Jesus. and mm-hmm. Because he had heard about him. He had heard about him and probably the same thing with, you know, his uh, enamor with John. I, I want to hear from this guy. But when I then read the scripture, it said he was hoping to see a miracle and a performance. And again, villains aren't necessarily always doing the crazy, mean, murderous, evil things. If we want to apply this to our own lives of like being the villain, sometimes it's we're just going to Jesus for the miracle. We're just going to Jesus to want to see what he can do for me and not necessarily how he can change my life. And that's where Herod's at. And he's asking him all these questions. And like you said earlier, Jesus just stayed silent. Yeah, and this is one of the things in how I think that us as the church to be able to present Jesus differently to kind of address this at the get-go is that it's about coming into submission to God. And if you don't move into that process, then you stand apart from it hoping to see Jesus do something. And that's not what it's about. It's about coming and submitting. And Herod was not one to come and do that. No. And so he sends him back to Pilate. And that's where I read where you said that Herod and Pilate became friends then. They had this political thing that brought them together. And then that's it for Herod. Like you don't see much of him as far as what happens in the Bible. And then we get into Acts. And like we said earlier, that Herod is not the same Herod, but that Herod is also... Yeah, that's Herod Agrippa. Pretty, pretty crazy. Well, you get Herod Agrippa the first and then the second. So Herod, 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 Herod. Which one started the persecutions of the Christians in the New Testament? I want to say that it was Agrippa the first, carried on by the second. Again, that idea that they were enemies of, of God. And it's interesting looking at these Herods were enemies. So if we look at the first Herod that we talked about, right? And Herod the Great. And he had the Magi, and he had the scribes and the teachers, right? And all of that interaction to where he could have approached Jesus and had something different happen. Here you have Herod, excited to see Jesus, you know, maybe for a different, well, definitely for different reasons. <laughs> hey, go and bring him over here. I'm excited to meet him. That was the first Do Herod. Do that water to wine thing. Let me <laughs> yeah, see it. Probably, right? Right. But here you have him coming and actually having the interaction. Before it was like, hey, that would have been a potential interaction. Here you have Herod coming and meeting up with the Messiah. And here's a chance, right? For he had heard about him before, but now here is your chance. And just completely fumbled. It made me think when you were saying that, I've got no biblical support for this. So whoever's listening, take it with a grain of salt that I'm a human just thinking through as I read the Bible. But when we come to Jesus with the wrong questions or we come to God with the wrong questions, is that when he doesn't answer? You know what I'm saying? Like, It just seemed like Herod was asking him questions, right? And Jesus never said anything. He just never said a word to him. And it just made me think, like, was he just not asking the right question? I know when he was in front of other people, they're like, are you the king of the Jews? And he was like, 
I am what you said I am. And then, you know, there's that. But this, like the questioning he was getting, it was just, it was silence. And I don't want to say that God doesn't answer us, but I mean, the Bible also says that if we have sin in our heart, our prayers go unanswered. So there's definitely moments when there's silence, but. I get what you're saying. I think that at this point, I mean, it's post the garden prayer, right? He said, I've got it. There's no other way that I'm going to submit to this. So I think that at this point, it was just, this is the path towards Mm. it. So I don't think it has so much to do with it being the wrong question, but the principle that you're getting from it, I can definitely see what you're talking about. And like, well, how would he know what the right question is? He's never even met the guy and all this stuff. Just, hey, I want to hear from you. Simple enough question. When you come to God and just like, I need to hear from you. Yeah. And it's even that point, if you don't know what to ask, just let the other person tell you, (laughs) not the other, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally get what you're saying there. I find it interesting as we start wrapping up this show that when I look at both Herods, the the ones that we focused on on the most, you know, Herod one had the insecurities about people taking his throne and challenging him and all that stuff. And I heard someone say this, you want to know what you worship It's the thing that gets you angry when it's challenged. And for Herod the Great, what he worshipped was his title, his throne, his position, so much that he would kill his own children, he would take out wives, he, he would just execute and slaughter children, that he was just so insecure. And, and, it, and it brought out just this ugliness and evil in, in, inside of him. Herod, his son, would eventually fear people. It's a common theme that I kept reading when that John the Baptist account, that he feared the people for this. He feared the people about, you know, not being able to deliver John's head to Herodian's daughter. Like it was this, I fear people so much. And I'm going to add into that. One of the things that some historians and scholars were looking at is even to put it this way, fear of his wife. A lot of people look at it that Herodias coming over and what that was is that she was really pulling a lot of political strings Mm -hmm. and he was submitting a lot there which again even just to look at as you're bringing up the fear that's influence and you can look at this villain even this king even this ruler just coming in with the full force of everything was like what is the influence coming in like you know you can try and cut off influences like the first uh Herod and like no (laughs) kill them all but if you have these other noble people, you have your close relations and other people are influencing you towards evil. If you're an evil person, if you don't have morals, if you're just loose with everything in life, then yeah, what's another thing? What it really gets me thinking about the most, though, is that unchecked, when, when we don't check our issues that we struggle with, the things that are really keeping us at bay from having a relationship with God, they can turn us evil. Mm-hmm villainous in a sense his his uh, insecurity about his title and his throne look at what it did to herod his insecurity about or or his fear about being rejected by the people or being influenced by someone else look at what it did to the other herod and it's crazy because it's not like god isn't trying to get these guys attention as we've seen through every single villain that we've covered so far god's there God's trying to get them. God's knocking at the door. God is saying, here I am. And he's putting people in their way to get their focus off of themselves and back onto him or on him in general. We talked about it with the first Herod. He had the Magi. He had the, all the teachers. They were coming to him. His insecurity at this point was so deep inside of him that he just had that wall up. 
and he 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 didn't let it do anything to him, but it made him villainous. The other Herod had John the Baptist talking to him until the time of his death. He had that influence. John the Baptist was even calling him out on his stuff. He was calling him out on his crap. He was like, that's not right. Just kill the messenger? Right, and he's there doing all that stuff, but it just didn't change him. And, and, and as uh, this will probably be the last thing I say if you've got anything else to add, but to me, it's just looking at these guys really brought to mind or, or what really brought to life to me more was unchecked my issues can make me a villain. If I think about myself personally, I talk about it all the time. I mean, on the show, it may not seem like it, but spend five minutes with me alone or spend some time with me. My biggest issue is anger. And when I yell at my kids because they did something wrong and it's out of anger and not to correct the action or to help them see the error in their way, I'm a villain. I'll talk down to them. I'll say things not in the nicest way even sometimes with my with Justine, sometimes I just, if she got me frustrated, I will say something that's not the nicest way to build up our relationship or marriage. Or even uh, another one, my ego. If someone checks me on something biblically, sometimes I'm like, no, you're wrong. I think we had it one a while ago where I was saying something, this is a long time ago, maybe like last year, and you had to check me. You were like coming at me like, I think that's a pride issue. And I was like, you're stupid. <laughs> like that's my next defense mechanism for that. But when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that's my pride. But it makes me villainous to the people I'm encountering when I let these issues go unchecked. Yeah. So when you're saying those issues and even how you said the thing that you're worshiping that, you know, you can't get let that thing get touched and mess with. Definitely. And that's the temptations and the desires of our own heart, like James would say, right? Like there's stuff within us that can drive us deeper and deeper when sin gets into the situation. So even just taking the different villains that we've touched on so far with Cain, right? God himself literally talking with Cain saying sin is crouching, wanting to take you over. And and we see that in all of the villains, both God trying to address and also sin crouching to take over. And that's what it is in our lives too, to where he will say, hey, the anger is wanting to take over, right? Um, what I find interesting <clears throat> what you're saying too is that like, I think Paul writes it that eventually... We, God just lets us give in to the desires of our flesh, right? So when I'm talking about like if we don't check these things, eventually those things just, they're taking over. And I, I feel like we're going to see more of this when we eventually get to another villain like Pharaoh. But like they're just taking over and they're just, then now you're, you're no longer operating like a normal person. You're operating in those things. Like Herod the Great to me is just a paranoid, delusional man who let all that paranoia control and operate his life. And that paranoia came from his insecurities. And it's just crazy to me. It was a good, I guess if I want to say, it's a good check on my own heart on where it's at, looking at him as a character. I'm going to end with a different perspective too. I, I agree with what you're saying, but when I'm seeing it, I'm going to take a different stance in my closing. I agree with what you're saying. And also what I'm seeing in it, as I've kind of said from the beginning, just this family drama and where all of that comes from and whereas god will come and check you on all of those internal things i think that some of the awareness that needs to come from that is we are all just his creation we want to put ourselves on the level of king or on the level of neglected in society or wherever we've fallen or think we fall in but when 
God is entering in when we think that we're hearing something from him, whether it's from a podcast like this or a sermon or somebody on the street or a friend or you open up a Bible, whatever it is, when God is coming to approach us, part of what we also have to examine is what has been my lot in life? There is a bit of self-examination comes into it. I was born into this noble line of people who were killing other people who I've learned that when I'm threatened politically, I just need to go and kill people and all of this stuff. And they're really just like, wait, who am I? And where did I get that from? And is that anything to do with reality? And we see that those things, bringing it to that point of family, are mostly passed down from your upbringing, right? You learn from your parents. And Jesus comes in literally saying, let me teach you a different way. I will teach you the way to live. And you see it coming into, you, you brought up Paul, when Paul comes before Herod Agrippa, again within the family, he's sitting there listening to Paul saying, can you persuade me in such a short time to become a Christian? He was hearing Paul going, hey, I, there's really something to this. But there's other people who are like, you're insane, all of this is going on. And, and he even says, this man's done nothing worthy of death or imprisonment. So he comes before a man of God, hears a message, gets the chance, and still just no, you almost persuaded me, you almost had me. So you even see just the progression from kill them all to having this interaction to now, yeah, I was almost persuaded. But at some point we have to consider who we are, what we've learned, what we think there is versus what God has confronted us with and what he's trying to show us and what are you going to submit to? That's the important question. What are you going to submit to, yourself or God? And I, I, I think that's, that's the question that is asked before everybody. And you can see it here to these two guys and well, all the Herods that we've talked about. That's the big question. Are you submitting to God? Do you want to start building his kingdom? Or are you submitting to yourself? I, 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 when you're talking, I just want to add this in there too. That kind of the, the sins of the father passing down mm-hmm. a thing. Like Herod had no problem. The second Herod, he had no problem taking his brother's wife. I just took what I wanted. Like, that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it was. That's the way I learned. You don't like what someone else is doing. We kill them or we take what we want. And it just passed down to, to so much of him. But again, it's that giving into that selfishness, giving into ourselves, submitting to ourselves and wanting to do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. Which comes into what you were saying about the anger and everything else, mm-hmm. right? You can look at position. You can look at internally. It's just God is saying, I want to show you a better way. Yeah. I want you to come into a relationship with me. Don't deny me. Bring me in. But what that submitting looks like is, yeah, the anger issues and let him into that, looking into what have I learned from my family and how to handle situations. And just ultimately, Jesus is the king, not Herod, not the other Herod, not the other Herod. Jesus is the king. And he has to be king of your life. I like that you brought that up, too. And then I'm going to I'll wrap us up in the show. I like that you brought that up that like he's the king. He's the king. Because I think for ourselves, we do want to set ourselves up as king of our own lives. Right. Like, this is my life. And I'm just bringing Jesus into it. I sent this to you. I heard a pastor say it a while ago when I was listening to his message on on a podcast. But he said that Jesus isn't a file in your filing cabinet. Like it's it's just it's not that you just can't file him in to your life as a file. Jesus is the filing cabinet, and the moment you come into a relationship with him, then you're filing your life, your parenting, your being a spouse, your being a child, being a, an employee, being a American, you're filing all that into Jesus and then letting Jesus come out of all of that instead of just categorizing Jesus into your life. But I have one final thing and then literally yeah, just we end the show. Because if not, we'll keep talking. Yeah. I just want to say, 
part of my perspective on Herod with, with all of this, because I know that as we've talked, I've just kind of seen how I'm seeing him. I have no idea what it means to have that much power. And I just, I have to comprehend him through my struggles and through what I see in the world. Like, I don't understand what it means to just be able to say something and thousands of people die. Or, you know, any of this is just what his struggles were and all that. I know that we're all human and being like, yeah, he had his emotions and he had that stuff. It was like, man, as far as dealing with evil on another level, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of evil. That's a lot of stuff going on that I'm glad that I don't have the opportunity to partake in that level of evil. I struggle with what I have right now. Right? How awful would that be? You with power, I meant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am Chris. I'm your the. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Got you with that one. <laughs> the word for word Bible comic is completely unabridged. Not one word is missing. The pictures are accurate to the historical and cultural background and help immerse the reader in the ancient setting. Due to the corruption of mankind, the Bible is bloody and filled with complex adult themes of abuse and betrayal. This comic is therefore aimed at adults and older teens. The word-for-word Bible comic. Order yours today.